Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to Backspin. My name is Larry Canning. Steve Anderson is usually sitting next to me, but he can't make it today. I have in his place one of the most respected golf coaches in the country. He has pupils winning on every major tour around the world as we speak. He's just a two-foot tap-in away from me. It's Gary Barter. Thank you, Gary, for being part of the show. My pleasure, Larry. I'm looking forward to it. A lot to talk about today, mate. I had a chat with Golf Australia CEO James Sullivan. was fascinating. Some of the ways he's looking at improving the game and, and, and holding on to the players that have just come through the COVID part of the golf has exploded as you know guys but we're not converting enough people that are playing a couple of holes or going to the practice fairway to a golf course yet and, and James has got some great views on that. We're also talking to Matt Cleary uh, Matt is a very respected journalist. He wrote a piece for The Guardian about Greg Norman's new venture and I've heard Matt is uh, is quite a passionate guy and I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to that I'm experimenting with three different golf clubs that all have 18 degrees on them. I had a hit the other day, Gary. I got a five wood, a hybrid and a utility iron, all with the same loft and I, and I had a bit of fun with those to see which sort of suits me, which doesn't and how I can help other people with their clubs. You're, you're going to help me with that. I also had a crack with the new Srixon ZX4 irons and that was just flat out frightening how far those things go. That was scary and I want to share that with you. This is all coming up, guys. I hope you're going to stay with us uh, for the rest of the show. You've got some fascinating views. Mate, I'm looking forward to all of that. Yeah, thank I, know, you, I know you'd be the perfect model to hit those three clubs. Oh, I'm terrible. I can't play anymore, but I enjoy a hit. And I get them oh. out of the face sometimes, and so I can sort of compare <laughs> and help people. Well, you've always had a big ego. Yeah. <laughs> you've always you've always give yourself a rap. I'm brutally honest, aren't I, about my own game. Mm. Yeah, anyway. And I should point out to Gary, to the to the listeners, Gary is actually my coach, and he, he just squirms a bit in his chair when I say that sometimes. Well, I... Well, we settled out of court about that, yes? Well, can I, went, I still talk uh, no, about I went, it? No, I went very grey very quickly. <laughs> And, uh, well, that story you said you just sat in the car one day after you'd given me a lesson for an hour. and Yeah, I couldn't drive home. <laughs> I, 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 I had to, I wasn't safe. All this and more coming up on Backspin. The Backspin interview, thanks to Inside Golf. After 17 years of overseeing the game of cricket in this country, James Sutherland has turned his hand to golf administration and is now the CEO of Golf Australia. James, welcome to Backspin and thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Larry. My pleasure. Mate, 12 months into the job, could you have picked a more chaotic, tumultuous period to take over the reins as CEO of Golf Australia, given all the things that have been going in the last couple of years? Well, I think as we know, there's been so many things that have happened in the last 18 months or so that we would never, ever have predicted in our lifetimes and somewhat unusual time, you know, 12 months ago to um, start a new job and make some difficult decisions about events and what have you and, and assume that everything would be back to normal this summer and, and it's not. I'm still yet to meet everyone in our office, everyone that works at Golf Australia, so that's, you know, 12, 13 months in. That's unfortunate, but hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel and things are looking up. When you start a job like this, James, what's the first thing you do? Do you just find, you just listen? What's the go? I think you ask questions and you listen. For me as well, I, I mean, I like to read and digest various reports and reviews and things that have happened in the past so you understand a bit of content of particularly what's happened you know, over the last 10 years or so, and then to really speak to people that are, you know, that have had dealings with in the game, in the industry, but also 
obviously from an organisational perspective with Golf Australia, understanding the role Golf Australia plays, what it's valued for, what it's not valued for and, and how people perceive us to, um, you know, opportunities for us to improve or get better. Any crossovers from being the CEO at Cricket Australia, James? Have you seen any similarities or things that have worked that you did with cricket that um, you can do with golf? Larry, I, I take a pretty simple view of sports administration. I believe the most important thing we do as sports administrators is we encourage people, particularly young people, to play our sport. If we're not doing that and, and we're not achieving that, we're failing, in my view. And I guess I came into golf with that hypothesis and nothing in uh, I haven't seen anything to change that future of our sport lies in uh, young people and how we inspire them to love the great game and I think you know, we all have a responsibility you know those of us that play the game and appreciate the game we have a, a responsibility to encourage the next generation to uh, to do the same or, or to show them why it's such a great sport. That's a great point, James, and I've never found an answer to that question, why don't people that love the game introduce other people to the game? It, it, obviously, that happens in certain areas, and there are relatives and mates that you bring along sometimes to a golf course, but I quite often see in my job someone joining the golf club as a just an independent person who just watches the game on TV and just wants a hit. Doesn't He's not invited by anyone. He's not bought by anyone. What do we need to do to get golfers to, to share the passion, share the word? Yeah, look, it's fascinating uh, topic, I think. You know, my observations comparing it to cricket, and you know, I've got a background in footy, AFL as well. And one of the things that's dawned on me in, in that comparison, I've sort of seen, let's call it a, a lack or a or lesser custodianship in golf. And I think the obvious thing and the obvious difference with golf is that golf's a sport that you play forever. You know, if you play mm. cricket or footy or whatever, you play until your teens or twenties or thirties or whenever it might be, and then you become a fan. But you also become a a custodian where you encourage the next generation. You take a role uh, with your kids in their sport, you know, perhaps a volunteer around their footy club or cricket club or what have you, and encourage the next generation to play the game. Whereas golfers, they continue to play the game. It's, it's a great strength of golf that you can play forever. But what comes with that, I think, is a, is a lesser uh, sense of responsibility to the next generation. And I think that's unfortunate. But it's also, it's a reality and, and it's something I think that we all need to get better at as golfers, but I think also as leaders within the golf industry and I'm going all the way through into golf club committees and what have you is to think about what they're doing to secure the next generation and not just relying on, you know, the older people to be replaced by older people <laughs> or, or people, you know, in their 50s who are yep. coming to the game because uh, all of a sudden they've got time to play a little bit more. It's something that, yeah, hopefully that you you're definitely addressing it. I know the, the PGA are addressing it, Golf Australia, the PGA, and all the other bodies. Um, but, gee, if we could get word out there as soon as we can, that, well, and, that let's, and, let's play. Larry, the, I mean, just a little data point there. The, the average age of a golf club member, male golf club member in Australia is 55, and the average female member is 62. I mean, that captures a little bit about where we're at. I mean, it's a great strength of the game. I mean, the, the number one participation sport for males over the age of 50 mm -hmm. in Australia is golf. Like, that's something worth celebrating. But at the same time, we all need to also focus on what we're doing to encourage the next generation to 
play the game and love the game. We've been talking about us that work in the golf industry, we've been talking about a shortened version, a different type of version, a, a version of the game that uh, young people can play and are attracted to. Your thoughts and, and ideas on that in that respect, James, on, on getting the youngsters to play? Sorry, mate, youngsters I'm talking, not not only juniors, but the 30-year-olds, the 25, 30-year-olds. Yeah, just the below the average age of a golf club member, yeah. Again, this is, you know, over the last 12 months, I've poured over a lot of data and what have you. One of the quite, at least for me, dawning moments was to read a research piece that was commissioned by the Australian Golf Industry Council and a research house by the name of Nature delivered something earlier this year to the AGIC and we've recently published that. One of the things that comes through in that is there's 9 million Australians that are interested or have, a, have an inclination to hit golf balls and to play golf. And of the 9 million, 3 million have hit golf balls in the last 12 months. That's a huge audience. Let's just focus on that 3 million for a moment. There are 400,000 golf club members in Australia. So not even 15% of mm. that 3 million are golf club members. So coming back to your question, the game of golf has all sorts of different forms. And to my mind, mini golf is one of those forms. Simulator golf is another. Going to a driving range is, it's all golf, right? All golf is golf. It's not just 18 holes, green grass golf. And if we think about our own individual journey in the game, very few of us just walked onto an 18-hole golf course and started our golf journey there. Mm. We hit balls on an oval or a park or, a, or went to a mini-golf with the family. That's, I can remember my first experience was September school holidays going to, up to the Gold Coast and going to the, um, the mini-golf centre, which I think is still there at Palm Beach. Like, that was a big thrill and that was something that I'll always look back on mm. as being a sort of start of my golf journey. And so I think for us, again, in inspiring that generation, we need to find those bite-sized pieces of golf entertainment, which is you know an hour or an hour and a half, which is whatever the family or people can afford, and invest heavily in that, make that a great experience. So that's obviously about the proprietors of those various venues making it a great experience, but also we've got PGA professionals there, we've got staff that can, in the first instance, make sure people feel welcome, and second, they go there and feel that they are improving and they can improve, and the next time they come back, they're going to get better. And because we know the research says that a golf club or golf course or a golf facility environment is at its best when it is welcoming and the people that come feel as though they're improving or can improve. And those two criteria, I think, absolutely keys to that customer service piece that will get people coming back. And so going back to your question again, I don't think it matters. There's no secret solution to, you know, it's not a nine-hole pitch and putt yep, or it's yep, not a yep. you know, six-hole course. It, it could be anything. All golf is golf, but it's the experience, the positive experience with your friends, with your family and the service that you get with it and that feeling of being welcome having fun and feeling as though you're getting better. Interesting. You mentioned the club professional there uh, and coach. That's a very important role. The PGA take that very seriously. As you know, there's always been, not sure I can word this perfectly politically correctly, but uh, the PGA and, and Golf Australia in the past, and I've been a pro for a long time, way, way back, never had a great relationship. There was always factional little splinters, little areas where that's my role, not yours. That's your role. That's mine. I'm hearing, James, that you've, you've put a lot of work into bringing that together. The two probably in most important governing bodies, Golf Australia and the PGA, together, even to the point where we're in the same building now. So congratulations yeah. and thank you so much for that. Going forward with that? Larry, yeah, right now, it's the most important thing that we're doing, that Golf Australia is doing, and I would hope that Gavin Kirkman, the CEO at the PGA, would say 
the most important thing they're doing for, for golf. You know, we all, obviously all need to serve our constituents and, and members. But I, I'm speaking as we speak today. We actually had a five-hour workshop yesterday with the, the two management teams, Golf Australia and PGA, working wow. through integration on how we work together, you know, facilitated discussion around what we're doing well, where the opportunities for sharing and collaboration and what we like to talk about amongst ourselves between the PGA and Golf Australia is that, yes, we we serve our communities and our members, but we don't necessarily work for our bodies. You know, they don't Mm, work for the mm. PGA, they don't work for Golf Australia, we work for golf. Yes. And and if we can elevate to that, and that's part of what we're thinking with this national strategy that we'll launch in December, Larry, as you know, we've had an industry-wide consultation process over the last few months, getting to the final stages now, hand-in-hand, step-by-step with the PGA, we're developing a high-level view on what we need to do together to grow the game of golf so that a good sport can become you know, even better and, and greater and, and serve our community even better. It's great news, that, and uh, something I've been looking forward to and all golf pros, I think, have been looking forward to for a long time. Maybe we'll get a few more starts in the New South Wales Open <laughs> when, I used to, when I was a young bloke. Getting an, an amateur having my spot, I always thought, gee, that's not fair. He's not going to win any money. And If I'd have been real, real with myself, I'd have realised I probably wasn't going to win any money either, but anyway. <laughs> James, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for taking the time. There's just a couple of get-to-know-James-Sutherland questions questions I've got here. The first one is your handicap, I believe is pretty handy. What is it? It's about six. Six. What golf course is that? Royal Melbourne. Is that the ultimate form of torture for you? Not being able to playing off six at Royal Melbourne, probably the you know, arguably the best golf course in the country, and it's shut. You can't get on it. You're working in golf every day. You're trying to improve the game, and you can't even play a round of golf at your own golf course, which is Royal Melbourne. That must have been torture, mate. You know what make, makes it worse, Larry? My office is across the road from Royal Melbourne. I can look out <laughs> behind too. my desk, out the window. And I can see the clubhouse at Royal Melbourne from there. <laughs> and that's sort of nice. It's nice to be close to your golf course. It's agonising not to be able to play. <laughs> All part of that first 12 months, mate. You're, you're sort I of need pl- more meetings on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on the course. What clubs do you use, mate? What brand of clubs? Titleist, I've got at the moment. Titleist. Um, who's your coach? Dan Wiley. Right. Your favourite hole at Royal Melbourne? or a, Yeah, favourite hole, I think, at Royal Melbourne, your home course. Is there a favourite hole? In? Can I say I've got two favourite holes because they were both involved in the only hole in one I've ever had. Uh, okay. They were both so involved I, in one hole in one? Yes. So I teed off on the 8th of the West and I hit it into the 1st of the East. <laughs> I think I'm sorry to hear that story. That's a sad story, James. It doesn't go yeah. up on the, on the honour board, does it? No, it doesn't. It <laughs> did you get a mention in the club's history? <laughs> My next question was going to be the most embarrassing shot you've ever hit. Could could that be the same thing? Yeah, well, uh, I was embarrassed when the, the <laughs> one of the blokes on the... Uh, First green of the East came charging up, saying, "Who hit that ball?" I've got a story even worse than that. I, I have a mate who played at my where I began playing golf at Everglades Golf Course. He hit off the first tee, hit the fence, hit the, hit a bounced off a tree, and went backwards into the into the hole on the 18th. So he shot one for his his round. That was his round one. <laughs> yeah, that's a true story. James, thank you, mate. Thanks again for taking the time out to talk to us, and good luck. And you're doing a fantastic job, and bringing the PGA and Golf Australia together is just a it's a it's music to my ears. Thank you, mate. Thanks again. Pleasure, Larry. Nice to chat.
The equipment review I did this week, Gary, I tried the new Srixon ZX4 set of irons. I had a 7 iron out of a, a demo kit that we have. I found this golf club. It was the longest 7 iron. I think I mentioned earlier in the show, it's the longest 7 iron I've ever hit in my life. It went straight left because I didn't realise I had the wrong lie angle on it. It was two degrees more upright than I needed, which is another point we should raise about how mm. important that lie angle is. So when I got the lie angle right, had a couple of hits, got used to it. It was just potent how far this thing was going. I wondered whether I'd ever need a longer iron than, than a 7 iron. That might do. 7, 8, 9 wedge. Given that the specs on these things, I mean the wedge, the, the 7 iron is the same loft as a 5 iron I used to use um, when I was playing the tour. The wedge is 43 degrees. Uh, the wedges I was using when I used to play a little bit more was probably 48. A lot of companies are going that way. There's definitely going that way. The, the game improvement iron. And just the features of those game improvement irons, like Srixen always been a beautiful product, beautiful quality, beautiful shelf appeal, just the steel. But of course, the golf clubs and the launch conditions that are being created with those clubs, it is not uncommon for me to be teaching golf and not even see a five iron in a bag nowadays. It's got to that, hasn't it? The um, the hybrid club goes has has replaced a lot of people's irons, hasn't it? The long irons or even mid irons now. I don't know about you, but when I hit a hybrid, I mean they're easy to hit, they're great, and a lot of people should be using them. But I always feel like I can't control them as much as I'd like. If I can hit a, a three or a four iron, if I can find a three or a four iron that I can hit miss hit as often as I do and still get it up in the air and nice, I will jump all over that. Hybrids, when you especially moving into a, a player that's producing probably more than you know 100 miles an hour club head speed the hybrid does get a little bit spinny and a little bit out of control of course the players that you see on tour they've had their clubs you know modified mm-hmm. and they, they can be modified in in various ways whether the type of shaft the line the loft angle just the way the the clubs weighted the center of gravity of the clubs so generally speaking the yeah for especially for the player that's producing a bit more speed they they can enjoy the longer iron. But even even on the PJ Tour, you don't even see many three irons now. No, that's true. In the golf yeah. bag. And if they are, they're hollow, aren't they? Oh, it, it's um, even now. There, there there was a little, there's been a little bit of a trend this year. You, you do see a couple of players with a, like a five wood or a seven wood. So maybe in, in, in your point, they're finding that a better option than the than the, the hybrid. With the utility iron, I have had success with the current ones that, that are out now. Two or three years ago, I couldn't get them high enough. I couldn't get them off the ground enough. I mean, they were great into a strong wind, but the hybrid was ideal. Yes. I mean, I could hit, yep. and I could hit it a little bit lower if I needed to, a little bit higher if I needed to. Not that I'm very good at that these days. Well, and the good thing too, we've got the technology now. If you if you go and get a proper fit, and we've you know you've got the launch monitors, TrackMan, etc., you can look at with the speed that you're creating and the the launch that you're creating, and then the optimal height that the ball's coming down from. The advice we can give someone is that this club, this head design, this shaft is suiting their all the parameters of their own launch conditions so but that, you, can, you can change that so dramatically can't you, you with, can. with a different shaft a different oh. length a different lie it's incredible it's and like incredible. i said it stunned me when i hit that first hook that seven iron it, like i said it should be deployed in afghanistan or somewhere this thing <laughs> it was just a missile and thank god i wasn't on a golf course i was just on the range and i was scared of hitting a kangaroo or an animal or, or, or taking out some you know beautiful form of nature somewhere but look for people that are looking for distance with an iron i'm not sure I'm at that quite yet. I'm not far off. I like to get the ball a bit higher. This definitely got up in the air. This is at the ZX4. I definitely went higher than, than anything I've hit and way, way further. And when I got the shaft and the line got right, and this was just done by me, just twisting heads and putting shafts in, so I'm not a, an expert in the field. 
This is a set of irons I would definitely suggest for a lot of players. Beautiful looking golf club too, guys. They're, they're quite a compact head for a game improvement iron. If you're a traditionalist, a little bit more like me, you'd, you'd, you know, it's so hard to use a really offset, big, mm. shovely looking headed thing and feel like you can... Yeah, the thing, I mean, it's going to go on the air, the but R&D, you're not sure which direction. And the R&D, they, they put into these golf clubs, and maybe that's the future of golf clubs. Like you were talking before about the traditional loft of what you and I were using compared to the loft now in this 7-iron. You said it was more like a 5-iron traditional Yeah, it is. Loft. 28, 28 half degrees. And I, I use 28 degree 5-iron when and, I was and, and, and really, ultimately, it's just a number on the bottom of the club. Yes. And there's that, you know, obviously... There's an ego and people might like mm. to get up there and think that I'm hitting a seven iron and what have you got and someone else has got a five iron. But it's just the way the club performs and that may be the way golf clubs going in the future. You'd have to think so because yep. they're all being made, uh, particularly game improvement clubs, with the weight so low. You know, just the ball goes high. Now, if you have a, well, there's a standard, if you had like a, a, a seven iron with the old fashioned loft on it, if one of these seven irons I was hitting had the old-fashioned loft on it, it would just go straight up in the air. It would, wouldn't go wouldn't go far at all. Yep. It's a balance. Yes. And that's why the lofts are jacked up, as they say. And it's you made not, a good point fun. about the size of the head as well. And obviously, they're, they're a lot smarter than, than us in, in designing golf clubs, but the bigger the golf club was felt that, well, I can I can have more of a miss hit. Yeah, yeah. But of course, there's a, there's a diminishing returns where if it's too big and there's no, there's no meat on the bone mm-hmm. at the end of the golf club, so they've obviously got this club right on the button of the size of it to the efficiency of it and the mishit value of it because there are still, especially on the PGA Tour, there's still a lot of, a lot of players that are using blades. Yeah, yeah. And I still use a set of blades. And maybe that's because, you know, pe- people are always saying to me, oh, you've got to, go, you've got to change, you've got to change. But if you, if you can sort of hit a blade somewhere near the middle, they're still going to perform. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that the three iron now, I'm noticing that compared to say a, a more game improvement three iron that we were talking about before, for me, that's that's where I think I'm going to go. Mm. Three iron, four iron. Yeah, absolutely, you mm. can get them down to six iron. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, this set is an entire set of the, these hollow hollow headed things. Along this path, I was so taken back by how far these were going. Those irons, I. I found myself a ZX Utility iron in, in the Strixon range as well. Very similar looking golf club, not as much offset. Um, and it had 18 degrees. And then I thought, now, I've always struggled a little bit with these long these long utility irons. I'll take up to the practice fairway, I'll take an 18 degree hybrid, because this was an 18 degree ZX Utility, and I'll take a 5 wood, which is also 18 degrees, and compare them. I was in, going into a slight breeze, and it was fascinating to... The difference was huge, and I and I didn't think it would be the iron. This particular iron, because it had a little less offset, I could get it up in the air quite easily, and that 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 was the winner for me overall. So the trajectory for you was the winner. Yeah. So the five the five wood, how did that launch? Oh, just to? miles high. I could see how it could benefit. Maybe just no, just maybe too my, high for you. my I, I needed maybe a little less, probably a stiffer shaft in it. To be honest, guys, if I'd if I'd have had it properly fitted, I could have probably got a better idea of what sort of height, but I just don't like launching things straight off the face, straight up in the air. I like it to start out and then go up. Mm. So I, but, and, and this, I don't know whether this applies to to the average punt, and I'm, I'm not far off that either. My swing speed has dropped dramatically, but, um, you know, I, I can sort of get it somewhere near the face most times, and, and I get a fair, fair idea of the difference in the strike, but the five wood I would just find uncontrollable, easy to get off the ground, easiest club. You could stand on one leg and hit it. Mm. In fact, I think I did at one point. 
and the, the hybrid easier to hit, but the, the the head's much smaller, and I found I could actually miss hit more with the hybrid than I could with this iron. So, for me, the the, the utility iron, the ZX utility iron, is an absolute winner. Um, and the 18 degree, that's a two iron. I mean, I would never have thought I could do that. So, you know, if my set was going to start with a three iron, then you were looking at a 20 degree, and that would be so much easier to hit for me than a yeah, hybrid I or think a five would. The, the important point there is when you're choosing a golf club, you obviously got to choose it for multiple different conditions that you're playing throughout the year. And also, too, if you're playing on predominantly your home course most of the year, that club, and as you said for you, windy, not windy, good yeah, lies, bad yeah. lies, that club for you and then for others is, is best. So it's a, it's just a, it's an individual thing in the end. Get the right shaft. Make sure you get it properly fitted. Yeah, you really need to talk to somebody because even though we're human beings and, you know, we're pretty good computers and, and as you said, you and I have done all our, our testing just on a range back in the day, looking at the ball flight and getting the feel of the golf club and, and trying different things and you sort of, you figure something out. Yeah, gee, gee, this yeah. is good for me. Got the facility too, guys. We 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 work on a golf course. I yeah. mean, we can just both go up to the practice range. And the average person who you know, has no. a proper job, a real real no. job, can't do that. So no. we can have a bit of a fiddle and get a bit of an idea of ball flight. We've played long enough, so we sort of exactly. know what we want, what we're looking for. But now, but now we've got all the technology and, and with the data to cut through all those hours mm. of, of self discovery. Yeah, and 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 it's 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 pretty. Pretty compelling, and it's pretty powerful when mm. you when you look at it, and you just hit ten shots with one design of golf club and ten shots with another, and you look at the important features of the you know how the ball's landing, mm. what speed you're getting. I like I like to see it land too. I well, mean, land, I know, I know, I know no. the in, indoor indoor range indoor stuff is great. Land angle land angle is is big. I love leading out to a range. Yeah, I struggle a bit with. I struggle to actually make a full swing when I see it. A bloody computer screen in front of me. Yeah, you're going to get jumpy. Yeah, you're going to break something. <laughs> going to miss the screen. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, I would suggest have a crack. Everybody out there, have a crack with the, the new Strixon ZX4 irons. If you're looking for distance, I don't think there's a longer iron than these. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin with Larry Canning. Gary, I was gathering some information on Greg Norman's latest venture into the Asian tour. And I came across a really good column by Matt Cleary in The Guardian, which pretty much covers the details and the ramifications associated with the series of tournaments. So instead of trying to explain the piece on air, I thought, why not get the man himself? Uh, Matt Cleary, thank you for being part of the show. I was reading your column the other day and it just explained everything that Greg Norman's latest venture is about better than just about anyone so your column is, is headed Saudi cash can come to the rescue of Australian golf but should it be allowed to can you explain why it should or shouldn't be allowed to and what it actually is Matt so Greg Norman at the end of October was announced as the chief executive officer of LIV golf investments which is a startup and an offshoot of a half a billion dollar fund that's uh, under the auspices of the Saudi Arabian government. They they buy things. <laughs> In this case, they've made a play on the Asian tour and they're looking to create and take over 10 tournaments within the Asian tour, call it the Super Golf League or the Super League, and that's their plan for 2022. Where the Australian Open and the Australian Australasian Tour 
sort of came into the piece or why it, why it sort of became a Guardian Australia story was that there was a bit of chatter at the Olympics, you know, just, you know, gossip, yep, yep. gossip effectively <laughs> amongst the journos. Um, but, you know, people hear things and, it, and you know, smoke and fire and that sort of thing. Scrag, as part of his 10 tournament play, one of which was he was going to make a play for the Australian Open, which would sort of make a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it did being in a, a touch of financial difficulty and hasn't been played the last couple of years. You know, Greg's won it five times and, you know, Asian tour and that sort of thing. We don't know uh, as yet uh, whether the, that is on the uh, remits of Norman and the and the LIV Golf Investments team. They haven't announced what their plans are for their so-called Super League. But yeah, I mean, the, then then my piece sort of went into you know the the ethics really, the morals of hooking up with. Saudi Arabian money. money. Uh, yeah, just be, just before you get to that, Matt, just what yeah. you've said there. Your personal view: Do you see a connection there, and and why has this uh, this company gone to Asia and not um, Europe or or somewhere else? What was the what was the choice with Asia? Well, it seems like the European tour now, the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour have well, they see this LIV Golf Investments as a threat, whereas the Asian Tour, which yeah, they're, they're open arms. The CEO, uh, Mr. Cho, has said, "Look, as long as it's growing golf, we, we just we should be happy that this mob, uh, this you know, this I suppose private equity, whatever you want to call it, is you know wants to grow golf. So that's their that's the Asian tour's point of view, which yeah, for mine, pretty neatly cast aside the appalling human rights yeah, record of yeah. Saudi Arabia and." And on and on. So that's, yeah, the Asian tour is not susceptible, but um, Vulnerable. open to offers from, yeah, I mean, uh, and that's why I think the Australian Open was mooted as yeah, yeah. Uh, a potential one of the part of the super, this so-called Super League for that very world. Vulnerable. You know, it's, um, you know, what, what, we, are we a $1.5 million tournament, mm, uh, mm. which is pretty small fly. You know, if, if Greg turned up with 10 mil, gee, James Sutherland and, and these guys have got to have a listen, don't they? Yeah, so. yeah. Greg Norman's involvement. Uh, did you did we see this coming? I mean, in terms of there was talk at the Olympics that he might be trying to. I think it was own, in your words, own the Australian Open. Well, it was it was muted. It, I don't not sure it was ever confirmed, but a lot of people were thinking that way. For him to go from that now to being in charge of this ethically questionable fund, <laughs> I mean, no, I, you've yeah. got to be so careful what you say, I guess. But you know, I think we're all thinking it would. Players support this. Would I mean? Obviously, Greg Norman has, and that's going to bring some players, and it might appeal more to the, to the Australians. But do you think a, a Brooks Kepka, a, a, a Dustin Johnson, would? Can you see them ever being part? They've both of those guys have both played in the Saudi International. In fact, Justin Dustin Johnson's won two out of the three tournaments that they've had, and, and was second in the other one. Brooks has been over there. Bryson DeChambeau has been over there. Phil Mickelson has been over there to play that tournament. They had to get. Um, Permission from the PGA Tour, who is, seems to be the ultimate employer, <laughs> or you know, is it give, we can give them the ultimate go-ahead, uh, and they're still waiting on that for the next one, which is in February, I think. February twenty is the next Saudi International, so there's there's eight players, including Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Lee Westwood, Abraham Anser, and, and a couple of other guys who are waiting on permission from the PGA to play in it. So, short answer is yes, I'd say. Um, you know, uh, they they they. If, if it's the, the big second point with the previous iterations of what Greg's come up with this time, I think it was called Professional Golf League or yeah, yeah, World yep. Super League. Oh, yeah, there's just been two or three of these. Yes, these different names. Yep. Is that they didn't have World Golf ranking points, but if they've got the imprimatur of the Asian Tour, then they do, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that takes a that's a big sticking. You know, that, that that takes out 
that, that's that's a big that's a big thing for golfers. You know, cause they want to play majors and they want to be legitimate. And they want to earn points and rankings and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so they still need permission from uh, the PGA Tour, even if it's an Asian Tour event, to play in Saudi Arabia. This particular one, they do. Yeah. Right. Well, that's going to be a strong uh, indication of where it goes and who, who's interested. And I know you mentioned there's eight players that have that have sought that dispensation from the PGA. We know. I think Dustin Johnson is one of those, isn't he? Probably the previous players that have played there. Yeah, so Dustin is one, Tony Freewoodley, Westwood, yeah. Henrik Stenson is another. But these guys would see themselves, as Greg's often said, independent contractors mm. to be able to you know, go and buy and sell themselves wherever they can. You know, they'll all be going for appearance money and they'll all be going, you know, they'll be flown over there and put up in the finest hired hotels, I yep. suppose. Yep. And they'll have a nice time and all able to either put aside or not think about or disregard or not care about you know, the, the source of their money, which is pretty dodgy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, again, we've got to use the right words, don't we, for that? <laughs> but I know exactly, and like I said, we're all thinking the same thing. The Australian Open, we've talked about that, you know, being cancelled twice. Let's use that word vulnerable again. I know the Australian PGA and the Vic Open, in your column, mentioned um, Nick Dasty, who's in charge of uh, the PGA Tour in Australia. He's told you that there is a strong strategic alliance with DP World Tour, which is the European Tour. Would that fly in the face of, of this in terms of if we've signed a 10-year gig with DP World Tour slash European Tour, the old-fashioned the old fashioned European Tour, yeah. does that exclude a tournament like the PGA or the Vic Open being part of this? Well, <laughs> it, um, it would probably preclude uh, it from being uh, co-sanctioned because it would be a Euro- it would be an Asian tour co-sanctioned. I mean, the Vic Open is... So that it's like... It, the, the, the European Tour, uh, DP World Tour and PGA Tour are, you know, are trying to, you know, they are threatened by what, what Norman and the Asian Tour have got going here. Yep. So, you know, they're looking to shore up tournaments like the Aussie Open. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, and so the, the Australian PGA and the Australian Open have both been keeping their powder pretty dry. Yep, yep. Uh, certainly publicly. Which is a smart move, but, yeah. Yeah, no, they're going to they're hear out, they can hear, hear out. What happens? I mean, you know, what are they going to do? Jump on a bandwagon now and say, "Oh, well, yeah. there's no way in the world we'd be yeah. part of this because of X, Y, Z." No, crazy to do that. But just keeps coming back to it. Um, how? What? You know, it depends how tainted you think the money. Is, yeah, yeah. Where it's coming from? You can play whataboutism. You know, yeah. China's got had two Olympics, got the Winter Olympics. Yeah, you know, they got a yeah, terrible yeah. human rights record. Go on and on. You know, America kills people. You know, yeah. <laughs> America has a death penalty, and 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 Saudi Arabia has a death penalty. I mean, Saudi Arabia, you know, they use they actually use a sword. Yeah, yeah, cut, yeah, you know, yeah. A scimitar to cut gay people's head. You know, it's, yeah. It's, it's a shocking place, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, look at you. There's a fact, like, they, they actually, they use a sword. You know, it's in the, yeah, yeah. the Sharia law that they follow. You know, gay people can be stoned. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's what, you know, it's, it's happening. You know, and the bloody Crown Prince sent out a, you know, a, a hit squad to kill a journo. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Kishagi, yeah. and, um, and but you know, and I don't know. Russia does that, and we and we still seem to have some. <laughs> sounds like you've got. Them, so, sounds yeah. like you're, you've, you're definitely not on the fence, Matt. Are you? You're well and truly on not on the fence. You you have a strong well, opinion on it. You're a no, journo. No, That's what you do. Well, we, yeah, we do. We draw a line. Now, where yeah. where do we draw a line? And I, I, I actually I put it in the original piece, and the editor sort of cut it out. <laughs> yeah, well, wisely. But I said, good thing I, this I is a this, recording. I had this. I had this analogy. Well, what if a Taliban came up with $10 million for the Australian Open or, or the Taliban had a sovereign wealth fund that's created from, you know, from selling heroin and bloody US arms and they, they had half a trillion dollars. 
are, are we, you know, they, they, they make a few nice noises to grow the game of golf and, and build a few women's girls' schools and stuff like that. Do we, do we get in bed with them? Because, you know, are we growing, are we growing golf? Because growing golf, I mean, Good. do we? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how much money you know, do we, as you know, Kerry Packer said, there's a little bit of the, of the whore in all of us. But does everyone have a price? Do we, do we, yeah. Do we have a price? Or do we get in bed with a Taliban? Or, I don't know, or a Colombian drug dealer or someone who's got all this, all this money? Yeah. That's, no, that's a serious question. I mean... Yeah, uh, yeah fair uh, enough. Do, uh, I assume we draw the line of the Taliban and Pablo Escobar, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, Crown Prince Bin Salman apparently is all good, according to the Asian Tour and Greg and a few others. It'll be fascinating to see how this plays out, Matt. This is this is a, it's a it's a game changer, isn't it? I mean, from so many different angles, politics and sport we've always tried to dodge and avoid, and that's how people that go into Arabia and play and get paid to play yeah. defend it. But it'll be fascinating to see the opinions, and I reckon what you've just said there is going to create um, a lot of interest and a lot of opinions, and we're going to get a lot of feedback. So, Matt, thanks very much for being on the show. I love your brutal honesty, and thank you for for penning. A really nice column, and, and your editors, um, yeah, they probably did a half decent job. I think. <laughs> they probably did me a favour. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say. Good on you, Matt. Thanks for your time, Good mate. Day. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye, mate. See ya. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. It's not going to be my tip. It's going to be Gary Bartis this time. Gary, we talked earlier in the intro about the broad spectrum of people you coach. Uh, you've been doing this for 30 years. Is there a, a singular or what's one of the things that you often see, probably the most common fault or misunderstanding about the golf swing that you see? Yeah, Larry, I've been coaching golf for you know over 30 years. There's no doubt that most people, the, the best value they can get when they come and see me for a golf lesson is just for me to explain to them about impact. And the impact is talked about a lot and, and written a lot just for a, a player to come along get an understanding of the face of the club and how the face of the club has to be stable at impact and how the ball actually bounces off the club so we often see a better player hit the ball then take a divot after the ball with an iron that's really an indicator of the iron working how it was designed to be used and the loft on the iron to get the ball up in the air so i think that when i'm definitely teaching golf and i look at someone come for a golf lesson i'm really looking at the path of their swing the face of their club and how stable they can keep the face through impact and we have just some teaching aids that i'm sure everyone would have at their golf club like an impact bag and there's obviously a pro there to educate you but that collision and that impact and that feeling of the you know, using the shaft correctly, it's a it's something that is a, a big value uh, for someone to improve. So the most common misunderstanding of that impact is that you have to get the golf club under the ball and lift yeah, it up in the yeah, air. Yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. I think, you know, I always say to people, if I, if I stopped 100 people in George Street in the city who'd never played golf before and asked them how do, how do they think that ball's going to go from the ground up in the air, pretty much all of them would try and lift the ball up. Mm. And that's uh, that's a big that's a big one in our sport, the feeling that the club comes from a high point, like when you swing the club back mm-hmm. and then back down to the ball, that, that that club's designed to get the ball up in the air. As in with cricket, with tennis, you've got a flat um, implement there, so you've just got to direct it to get it up or down, but our, they, our sport. Are they the hardest people to coach? Hockey players. I always found hockey players you know, bloody you, impossible. Yeah, you know what's interesting? They've got the they've got some great elements like cricketers, hockey players. They have that that great collision, but but then again, they've got that flat bat. So for them, their idea of getting the ball up in the air is to either hang back with their body, mm-hmm. 
not as likely to scoop it with their hands but in their wrists. But that's something that, yeah, if, if anyone can start off and get an understanding of just how the club's designed to be used and, and, and that ball contact, then ground contact, and then the ball sort of bouncing off the face, it's, it's an amazing... Yeah, that's when people get the golf bug. They get mm. that feeling, and mm. it's it's amazing, especially chipping the ball. I think if I started my career all over again and, and was a beginner's coach again, I'd definitely put more value in chipping the ball earlier on because I think that's a, a really good one for people to understand, that, that lofted sand iron and how that ball gets up in the air with the right technique, mm. not by their wrists and their hands. So, now, yeah. with, with kids, um, when I was teaching kids it was always difficult to, to, to pry the driver out of their hands and give them a wedge and, and give them some sort of target or a little game to play that would interest them um, in terms of getting that golf ball into the hole for less amount of shots. You know, well, it was just, it was always really hard. To, you know, they would just see a beautiful shot coming off the oh, driver yeah, once that, every five, five or six hits and that was it. They would well, that's, that's definitely the fun part. And, and I, I, even battle, I even battle myself with people that see me that'll have a goal to go from 16 down to a nine handicap and they'll book a lesson every week, every second week and they'll walk down and it's like my driver, my driver's going poorly. Yeah, my yeah. And in realistically, the, the short game, as you know, nearly 50% of, the, of our score is putting. Mm. And then you've got another 20% chipping the ball bunkers. So the value of that short game on a score, but young kids, yeah, they just want to tee it up and smash it mm. and that's exciting. But yeah. the scoring component is definitely a short game. Do you do much junior stuff? I don't. I don't. I've got uh, we've got a good team at the Australian. We've got Beck Blaine and Josh Ryanflesh and Alan Bull and 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 Beck and Josh look after the juniors. And it's just some it's just something the way it's evolved in in my career. But I still like working with the juniors. We have an elite junior program as far as seventeen to twenty year olds, but the the cadets, the kids mm. Uh, no, Beck looks after the kids. I actually taught Beck when I was. She's lovely. She's yeah, a she's great lovely. Kid. Yeah, she's lovely. She had some talent too. She could play. Yeah, yeah. She's very quiet and very serious about her career, and she's doing some work with Golf Australia with the elite uh, ladies. So yeah, good on her. Good stuff. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for that tip. Backspin with Larry Canning. Well, thanks, Gaz, for being part of the show. Fascinating conversation with Matt Cleary. That he's passionate, isn't he? He's got some strong views. Yeah, he's very passionate, and politics in sport. Yeah, well, it's it's a reality, isn't it? It's coming. It is. It is. And the Australian Open. I was interested in listening to that because that's a that's a big talking point with the players and mm. our national event. And you know, as as we said, one point five million dollars and the time of the year. So watch this space. Yeah, it's coming. Thanks again, Gaz. We'll see you very soon. Thanks, mate.